Welcome to I Just Don't Know, a podcast where I try to learn something new, challenge my opinions, and hope to make the misinformed informed. I can openly say I've spoken when I did not need to, been unnecessarily controversial, and shared my misinformed opinions thinking it was not. In this podcast, I'll try to right some wrongs and take on a new topic each episode that I think I knew, but in fact, I just don't know. This episode is about myths, legends, and mystery as well as imagination, romanticism, ancient Greeks, and ultimately the human race's fascination with the unknown, unproven, and the true past that eludes us. I will explore the fascinating story of the lost city of Atlantis. I'm really excited about this episode. It's slightly different from all of the ones beforehand, but as soon as I sort of got my hooks into this topic, looking at a bit more of history, which is something I love anyway. You could argue this is a bit more pseudo-history, but this myth and legend of the lost city of Atlantis is so fascinating. And when I was looking at some of the assumptions that I've made in the past or what I thought about this great story, in reality, there is so much behind it that I cannot wait to just share with you guys and, and speak about the different origin stories, the different theories, the hypotheses of where Atlantis could be and all the different influences over the years, over the decades, over the hundreds and hundreds of years. There is so much to this story that backs up why it is such a large part of the current sort of uh, world of, of myths and legends. So really excited to share this one with you. Please do listen and find out a little bit more about the amazing, the fascinating lost city of Atlantis. My first assumption and what I first thought about the lost city of Atlantis probably goes back to a film that I remember going to the cinema uh, for or we're looking back all the way 20 years, 20 years to 2001, the great Disney film Atlantis, The Lost Empire. Looks like it came out around October time in 2001, uh, and it was a great film, to be honest. It had the, the protagonist and uh, main character Milo looking or trying to prove to the laughing scientific community that he has found or potentially found a door or way to the to the lost city of Atlantis. And I remember the film really capturing my fascination as a, as a young child and loving the idea of this great civilization out there that is is hidden away and, and running a, 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 using technology that we couldn't even imagine. And so I think with that basis, uh, I always thought Atlantis was a fictional story, uh, a city somewhere in the Atlantic Ocean, uh, great, maybe coming from the uh, the ideas of people when they travelled the oceans and the mystery of the unexplored depths uh, of of the Atlantic Ocean. That something is down there, and it's a almost like an alien c- civilization or species that lives underwater, and that is what Atlantis is. And it's a fictional story uh, of an advanced civilization doing that. So that was my first assumption, and that is a long way from what this real story is. There is so much more to it. So uh, 
let's uh, so let's see how this goes so the story of atlantis is kicked off mostly by the well-known philosopher ancient greek plato the father and teacher of Aristotle, which I'm sure some of you have also heard of. But Plato, it all starts with him. And it goes back to his works, uh, two famous works, uh, the called Timaeus and Critias. Uh, hopefully that uh, I'm, I'm pronouncing that right. But the first one is it's a dialogue uh, by Timaeus, uh, where he mentions an island, island, a distant island, based on a story from a guy called Solon, who visited ancient Egypt in around 590, 580 BC. So considering that is around 150 years before Plato, Plato is around 440 BC to 300, sort of 50 BC, uh, BC. it's always debatable. But we're talking about something that is around 150 years before them, based on that story from Solon, who visited Egypt and found out something about this story. And so Timaeus, in his dialogue, doesn't really mention Atlantis specifically, um, but he does talk about a, a force, a mighty host from a distant point in the Atlantic Ocean that was looking to advance and attack the whole of Europe and all the way to Asia and, the, and as far as the eye could see into the east. And that there was an island beyond the Pillars of Hercules, that supposedly is uh, where Cadiz, the southern south of um, Spain in the entry to the Mediterranean, arguably that could be the um, uh, the southern point of Greece, but we'll come on to that a bit later. But Timaeus suggests that there is this force and that will based on an island larger than Libya and Asia together, so Back then, that's probably sort of middle, the Middle East and sort of North Africa. So that's a very large island. We'll come on to where that could be. But they are possible travel travelers from, uh, from, from far away that are looking to conquer the Greek people. And they are, they are more advanced and they have a great and marvelous power uh, that has that, her, that he says he held full sway over the island and many islands around it. So it's almost like an empire that uh, that he's talking about. And then we then we move on to so that's base that is sort of paraphrased by Plato in around 380 BC of this idea that there is this perfect society that well actually no the perfect society is actually Athens. And what Plato is trying to do here is that there is trying to highlight to the people of Athens that there is another civilization out there that is the opposite of them, but is a great threat to them. So that this this civilization is, they are perhaps the antithesis of the perfect traits of the Republic and Athens itself, the perfect society. So therefore, it is a perfect opponent and antagonist against what Athens stands for. So that is actually potentially a motive there for Plato to try and explain and warn to the people of Athens that there is this threat out there and they have to protect what Plato stands for 
the Republic itself. But let's move on to Critias, or Critias, if I'm saying that wrong. But according to Critias, he sort of builds on builds on what uh, Plato has used from Timaeus and adds a little bit more color to it. And uh, and I'm, this is where it gets a little bit interesting here. So he says that Poseidon was given the island of Atlantis and it was much larger than Libya and Asia Minor combined again, but it was later sunk by an earthquake that made it become impassable by a mud shoal to reach it and to reach the ocean completely. So therefore it just vanished. This entire civilization vanished. But according to Critias, it says that 9,000 years before Athens, so 9,000 BC you could say, he said that there was this great war between those who lived outside the Pillars of Hercules and those who lived within. So the Greeks, um, the people of, of sort of Libya and, and the modern day sort of Turkey and Middle East against these. And what happened there was that this great alliance led by Athens up against the Atlantean Empire fell apart and Athens was left fighting on its own. So a little bit sort of sounds like it uh, works out very nicely to make the Ath- Athenians look like the heroes here. Um, but he is the person that outlined, as I mentioned before, that this empire was only conquered by nature itself, or he says because they fell out of favour with the deities, the gods at the time, and he said that uh, there had occurred a violent earthquake and floods. In a single day, a night of mis- misfortune, all the warlike men sank to the earth and the island of Atlantis in like a manner disappeared into the depths of the sea, for which reason in the sea in those parts is impassable and impenetrable. There is now a shoal of mud in the way that's caused by a subsist- subsistence of the island. So the entire empire of the Atlantean empire just dis- disappeared. And Poseidon's possession and his all the sort of his kingdom there that he ruled over was was gone, and that's and that's what that's where the idea of the city disappearing, the civilization being lost forever into the sea. So that's where uh, Critias comes in. So what is really interesting is in these two parts that Plato is presenting here. He, if you actually put it into a bit of a story, fundamentally is creating this enemy that the Athenians can be can can think about and celebrate that they repelled these external this external power. And that's always got me thinking that this always works in politics and civilizations. When you have a enemy, an other, it unites people. And it does seem like he is using this as a as a way of getting support for his philosophy and his way of thinking. And that's where it does get a little bit dubious about, okay, this is just a fictional story in order to make a philosophical point. And so it's interesting from Plato there whether that is true, um, but it goes a, a long way from here and there's a lot of people that interpret this basis of, of the story of Atlantis um, and it goes in lots of different directions as a result. So there is actually, interestingly, I didn't realise an actual example 
of a civilization sort of or city disappearing into the sea uh, and that was actually in 373 BC so the time that Plato was was talking about this this story and this great um sort of legend or, or or worry about this Atlantean people many thousand years ago and using Solon's poem from from Egypt to others as the basis of this of this great story so going back to Solon I didn't delve into him enough but Solon basically was supposedly went in 450 BC to Egypt and spoke to priests and traders and so and they said of this great people that lived in the west to um they didn't say west specifically but they 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 brought trade and brought these uh this great empire over into in in the Atlantic Ocean or uh this the ocean to the, to to the west so that's where that's where the some of the inspiration could have come from for for Plato to use this story in his in his writings and speech here so but the story of the actual city disappearing was uh, Helic uh, which is near Corinth uh, in sort of the the bay the north sort of in the middle of Greece if you pointed right it's that bang in the middle where there's where the sea sort of indents into into Greece uh, Helic uh, spelled H-E-L-I-K-E in 373 BC uh, was hit by a tsunami that completely engulfed the entire city and for there's a lot of evidence that from the Romans to the Greeks of ships and tourists and Romans exploring this uh, great city with uh, by looking down, going into the ocean and exploring this uh, this great city. However, after many years, the the silt of the sea just completely submerged the city, and for hundreds of years, it was not discovered, and no one knew the actual location, uh, and it was only. Uh, very sort of recently in the last sort of hundred or so years that Helic was was discovered and has become a world monument uh, location uh, about 15 years ago and uh, it's it's known to be near the city of Bora and uh, it can be and the area below this the city of Bora is is where this city once once stood so there is more inspiration for Plato and this story about a submerged city that cannot be found or proving that the gods can do this to a civilization or a city. So again, very, very curious and slightly suspicious, you could say, about the uh, about where, where Plato is coming here. But there's other inspiration as well. And this is, again, more stories that I, I was did not know about so there was the Fera eruption, so modern-day Santorini. You think about all the, the nice, beautiful white buildings and the, the people out having parties and cocktails and nice dinners and seafood. Well, actually, the, the Fera eruption was truly incredible, and I, I didn't even realize how, the, how this, this was so epic. So it was known as the Minoan eruption, and it was around 1600 BC, so... 1200 years before Plato is is talking about it and he doesn't refer to this necessarily but there is possibility that the Egyptians of the time that where that could have inspired Plato and Solon's poem uh, etc could have been inspired by by this event so in Santorini right in the 
slap bang in the middle of the Aegean Sea, pretty much. He there was a volcano that was on the magnitude scale of six and seven, considering eight is the largest, and that's only ever happened millions of years ago and created this this the, the planet itself as we know it. But seven is very very rare, and it hasn't we haven't had a seven for hundreds and hundreds of years. But the Minoan eruption caused like devastating effects, not just to the surrounding area, but it caused the whole world to cool. It caused, and if you think about a, 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 the volcano in uh, 1815 in in, in, uh, in Indonesia, it caused uh, that I, I might talk about in another podcast. That was a, on a magnitude level six. That caused a whole year where there was no summer. So imagine a, an eruption of of that scale where you could see a smoke trail up to the sky all the way over in China almost. This, Who knows? But it must have inspired incredible stories. But this idea that this entire island was just gone, completely changed. The whole landscape of that whole area was devastated. But then the next bit of inspiration that I think glues it all together actually was this famous story of the Sea Peoples. And again, I didn't really know much about this, but there was this great story and legend, uh, and to be fair, historic, potentially historically accurate, accurate, Sea Peoples Invasion. And the Sea Peoples Invasion was a really interesting one. And this supposedly happened to sort of known the a federation of seafaring peoples attacked ancient Egypt and the whole of the eastern Mediterranean, so Greece and Turkey, between sort of 1200 and 900 BC, so about 500 years, 600 years before this uh, that Plato was talking here. Uh, so these sea peoples could have come from anywhere, really, but they sailed all around the eastern Mediterranean, invading and killing and, and, and pillaging the whole of that area, and, and they sort of potentially originated from all sorts of places. But they came through the Mediterranean of whatever it looked like, what, 3,000 years ago now, and caused absolute havoc. And this idea that this people from afar, that you don't know who they are, and they look different, behave different, have different cultures, can come at any moment and cause death and destruction to your civilization and therefore you need to hold true your standards your protection what you truly believe in just in case this happens and this links back to what i said originally with plato's story and his potential motives in that that these sea peoples could come again and this other or this other civilization that is not us is a danger and i can't tell you when they will come but they might come and there's a chance they will get, they will definitely come and fight you and take your take your homes so is this a motive to to use as a again to to try and unite the athenian people against one ideal and his republic against this possible other which has been done in in uh, politics many a time but uh that's in, well we'll um that is again up to, up up for debate but I didn't really know much about this famous sea peoples. And they could have come from, supposedly from sort of Western Europe, uh, sort of trying to get away from um, possible climate changes in, in sort of France and, and Spain. Or maybe they could have been people from the from the Azores or the western coasts of 
of, of Africa, or even they could have come from South America. And that's where we get onto it. So there is a chance, or there's a debate, that there is some that sort of, well, modern historians, and we're going to have to, well, look at pseudo-history in here, so we're, this is not a proper historical, historical accurate dis- discussion. Um, it's looking at possibilities. And there is the famous uh, people back in sort of 500 years ago, which brought to life the story of Atlantis, was a well-known Francis Bacon in the, sixth, in the 15th, 15th century. And um, he, brought, he brought it to life. But the there is a lot about where how this story of Atlantis and the people of Atlantis is potentially related to the sort of Central American Mayan Empire and Aztec Empire. And there is possibility um, try from the people when once they discovered the uh, the Mayan people and the Aztecs in the in sort of the 16th century, the, the Renaissance period, these sort of savages, as they were calling them, and the sort of inherent fear and racism, racism against the Central American people, the Native Americans of, of the time, these, they were so different from the Europeans, the Spanish who were there, the Portuguese, the English. They were trying to make sense of these peoples and their great temples and uh, you have in South America now, well sorry, Central America and Mexico, Chichen Itza and the Aztec temples and ruins that have been discovered. Can these savages and people who worship the sun be related, be, build these great things? Well, people are arguing no, they can't. And so they try to make a story that they are these temples are, are the leftovers of this great civilization. And the idea of Atlantis was used again, that this that they are somehow a product of, or they, they were the sort of origin. Um, they, well, they lived in, in, in sort of that Central American area and they came to Europe and did all those things that Plato mentioned. So are the, the Mayan people related? But, or they, could they be... Could they be related to it or could they have just come down from the south and adopted these great temples? But the Europeans basically said the main people were not capable of building these amazing structures. So that that was that was a sort of like, so it's a little bit coming from a bad, bad place. Uh, well, definitely coming from a bad place. But there was also discussion uh, in more modern times, the idea that the Mayan people were very related to the Aztecs as well as they're related to the Egyptians. Notably, they all worship the sun or they had a sun god and that commonality that commonality while they're being so far away from each other arguably like they couldn't very far away where how was that uh, how is that so similar and the way they sort of depicted their gods and and things like that so the scholars here that were looking at this in the 19th century sort of uh, sort of 1850s onwards uh, was uh, charles Etienne Brasseur de Bourbon. So Brasseur de Bourbon pops up quite a lot after this uh, in the 1800s and brings this to life, as well as Edward Thompson uh, in, the, in, in, uh, in Britain. So this French uh, scholar uh, supposedly went around Mesoamerican, so Mesoamerica, so this sort of Central American areas, and he translated lots of Mayan texts and 
and looks at lots of sort of sacred areas. He was there really hands-on, trying to make sense of these incredible people. And unfortunately, the Mayan people and Aztec people, the Native Americans of the Central America, many of them were died, majority of them died from disease, from, from Cortez and his conquistadors of the of the sort of 16, 1650s and, uh, and onwards um, and, and before. So there weren't many people left, but these scholars 150 years ago, supposedly scholars, were just trying to make sense of it. And this is where the, well, the romanticism, period of romanticism was was kicking off in the 18th century, um, sorry, 19th century, where people were sort of renovating the ancient Greek uh, sort of architecture and, and people's fascination with their, the ancient past was, was coming back with... Um, with vengeance and and this so it, it fits in nicely with this period and this this topical uh, it was very topical to, to i think the idea of this fantasy of this old world or this old civilization so again coming from a slightly skeptical view uh, it, you were just trying to make sense of it but again a part of me wants to say well uh, there is there are pretty fascinating things over in over in mexico and uh, and south america and, and i you could argue there is something going on there, um, and where where does it sort of relate to, or where do they where do they sort of get their their origin from? What's their origin story? And we don't have any many very few bits of history from these peoples because they didn't have the same records, and and they, a lot of them obviously were, were killed as we as we as we've just mentioned as we know. So it's very difficult to know the origin stories of the Mayans and the Aztecs, this, these great civilizations in themselves, let alone Atlantis. So how are they related? And it did coincide with uh, Henrik Schloman uh, discovering supposedly the city of Troy, another epic poem of an ancient Greek Homer uh, over in sort of the north um, west sort of area of Tur- modern day Turkey. So all this time, there's this idea of discovering the ancient worlds with potentially new technology and and the romanticism of, of the 19th century was, was taking hold. So a really, really interesting period for the the, the story of of Atlantis, um, but also that was that emerged into this thing and and really came in as the uh, as as the defining, well, as one of the defining factors of Atlantis and the story of Atlantis was that it is it, it switched from being a people of the other and a people that is to be feared. It changes to the idea of utopia. Uh, and that came from Sir Thomas More in a 16th century work. So a little bit before this idea of um, of the 19th century and the Romanticism that it kicks it off again. Uh, but the idea that it, it is a utopia, a new world, and that obviously that's linked to the discovery of America. So the uh, the whole idea of Atlantis definitely changes. It is no longer the that idea that, that Plato used or potentially fictional story or potential historically accurate story, depending on uh, the different sort of t- uh, sort of students of, of Plato and interpretations of his work, to a idea that there is this perfect civilization out there and it is the explanation of what was discovered in America. It's the explanation of the of the people of of the Mayan Empire and the great temples that were discovered out there, and you can understand a little bit why that that is uh, from a sense of trying to explain this great discovery of America, but 
overall the that switch was perhaps due to the just fascination of as we go into the 19th century with ancient traditions and ancient uh, sort of architecture and ancient civilizations not only was the the Romans and the Greeks getting a, a, a sort of a rebirth but so was the great myth of Atlantis and we're going to look next into the uh, how that goes on further into history now that we've covered the origins but it's really interesting some of these great moments in our ancient history that could have inspired this myth that I didn't even realize and that Plato while he could be argued as the original sort of the origins of the city of the story of Atlantis my feeling he wasn't there was so much potential inspiration for him so many great stories that could have inspired him to create this myth and or create this legend or or even talk about this historical event who knows but there's so many interesting potential origin stories but now we're going to move on to what's happened in the perhaps the last 100 or so years and the location of Atlantis Join me in part two where we'll continue this discussion and uh, we'll try and find out where this lost city is.